0: Uh, so today we're uh, continuing our series, You Say. It's um, been looking at identity, identity issues. A couple weeks ago, before the men's retreat, we talked about um, identity essentialism. We addressed some of the things that are going on uh, in our culture today, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter, um, LGBTQIA plus uh, issues, and, and the way that identity intersection intersectionality works. And we compared this to um, what the Bible says about identity, especially in uh, the Gospel of Luke and the story of Nicodemus. Today, um, we're going to be looking at identity crises. Um, up until uh, 1830, 1820, 1830, um, the vast majority of human beings died in the place that they were born. That, uh, and that's still the case. Uh, that, that most people still die in the place that they were born. But it's a lot less today than it was. Um, and it's, and, and it really, the, the, the change began in the 1820s and 30s when uh, railroads became um, affordable to middle and working class people. And it accelerated, especially in the United States of America, um, with the the finishing of the transcontinental railroad in 1869. Um, air travel then uh, was established and became common. It became accessible to working and middle class families in the 1950s. To the point that uh, we are in a place, it's, it's unique in, in human history, where for the first you know, roughly 6,000 years of recorded human history, uh, human beings didn't have a lot of options about where they went, what they did, um, where they would live, what they would do for a living. All of those things were more or less um, outlined, circumscribed, based on where they were born. The vast majority of human beings were, uh, they had arranged marriages, um, like mine, which is working out really well. Uh, those of you who don't know, yeah, my father set us up. Um, but a lot of you, a lot of you are like, no, I don't care what my parents say, I, do, I, I marry who I want, you know? Um, and, and similarly uh, with uh, professions, right? You, the vast majority of human history, even your profession was more or less selected for you. Um, and, you know, you talk with your parents or whatever, but you got apprenticed somewhere, the, the guy across the, the way in the village or whatever. Um, the vast majority of human life was set. You're born a Catholic, you die a Catholic. You know, you're born a Methodist, you die a Methodist. There just wasn't a lot of options. And as a result, uh, there was way less concern about questions of identity. Most of them were answered already. And it wasn't, up in, it wasn't in flux. Did you know that the term identity crisis wasn't coined until the 1950s, 1960s, Eric Erikson, a German psychoanalyst uh, who came to the States uh, to escape World War II, um, he, he invented the idea of stressing out and worrying about who am I and what's the meaning of my life. Doesn't mean that there weren't identity crises before. It, what it means is that in the 20th century, they became ubiquitous. Everyone started experiencing them because the major questions of life were no longer answered, and you had to go out and discover for yourself what you think about everything. Nevertheless, Scripture does record at least one major identity crisis. And we're going to look at it today and we're going to see. How Jesus responds to somebody who, who has lost the answers to the fundamental questions of his life. So let's uh, look at the beginning of John 3 together. Uh, this is mostly the common English Bible translation. They did a pretty good job. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born again, it's not possible to see, even see God's kingdom. Nicodemus asked, how is it possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? Jesus answered, "I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, whatever is born of spirit is spirit. So don't be surprised that I said to you, You must be born again. God's spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. It's the same with everyone who's born of the spirit. Nicodemus said, "How are these things possible?" And Jesus answered, "You're, you're a teacher of Israel." And you don't know these things? Uh, look closely at the text. Notice how uh, Nicodemus is introduced to us, right? He's, he's a Pharisee. Um, he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. Some translations will say a leader. Um, but really this is shorthand in, in Greek for being a part of uh, the local, I guess, Israel's like native rulers. The Romans are still in charge, but they sort of let uh, the Jewish people handle most matters themselves. And Nicodemus is one of the people who does that. Now, when we're told that he's a Pharisee, the, the reason for that is to let us know that he's a good guy. He, he really, he follows the law. There were lots of Jews and always have been lots of Jewish people who don't necessarily stick really hardcore to the Torah, the law of Israel, but Nicodemus did. but he wasn't super extreme. There were some Pharisees that were really crazy and none of those guys could have gotten onto the ruling council. So he's he's a mainstream, well-educated, probably wealthy Jewish man in good standing. And so if anybody in in, in Israel knows what's up and knows what God's like and how to please God, it should be this guy. But what do we hear? We hear that he comes to Jesus by night. Uh, sometimes you'll even get in secret. I think that was added later um, to the manuscripts but it might not have been. Either way, the, when, 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 the, when, when John says in secret or uh, at night, he's indicating that, that Nicodemus is like he's on mission impossible to find Jesus without anyone knowing. Why? Well, he's got a really, really big question. And he never gets to tell, it, tell us what it is. Look at, look at, look at when he's like, uh, he, he's like, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you're from God because you do all these amazing things. What does Jesus do? He's like, thank you, no. He's like, correct, no. Instead, he answers an unspoken question. He says, really, I, I, I got to be honest with you. I, unless somebody is born again, it's impossible to see, even see, God's kingdom. Now, there's a little bit of weirdness in the Greek here. That uh, There's two places in this text that the Greek and the, and the English don't mesh. And this is one of them. You've maybe heard the term, if you've been in churches for a long time, born again. It comes from this passage. What's interesting about it is that the, the word for again is anothen. It's an adverb. And it has two meanings. And both of these meanings are r- r- super common. They're, not, they're, they're both used an equal amount of times. The first meaning is from above or from on high. The second meaning is again or a second time. So the only way you would know if Jesus was saying you must be born from above or born again is from the context. Now when we look at the context here, Uh, It's a problem because Nicodemus misunderstands Jesus. And English translators have to make a choice. And so they choose again, but that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is actually saying you need to be born from above. I'll explain a little more about that in a moment. But first, if if Jesus' answer to the unspoken question is about seeing the kingdom of God, then we know that Nicodemus is in a bad way because Nicodemus should know how to seek the kingdom of God. He should be the guy that has all the answers. He should be a man who's right standing with God. And, and he's at the very top of, of, of the Jewish sort of society hierarchy. If anyone should know, this guy should know. And the fact that he doesn't indicates that he is in the middle of a massive identity crisis. That's why he's secret. He, he sneaks over to Jesus. At night, he doesn't want anyone to find out about what's going on internally. This is my dad's midlife crisis car. The 1992 Mustang Convertible 5.0. I mean, look at that, baby. Um... when, when, when he, when he was half joking about his midlife crisis, but not totally joking. Cause I mean, this is definitely a midlife crisis car. John, John's going through a midlife crisis since when he got the, the challenger. Yeah. He's like, I mean, you look at that car and you're like, here's the guy who doesn't have the answers anymore. He's falling apart, but it, but it, it, it rides smooth. I love that thing. Um, yeah, my dad was was mostly joking about a midlife crisis, but there was an element where I mean, I think he I think he was maybe 40 43 somewhere in there when he when he got it. Um and he had finally come to a place in his life where he he sort of he had it. He'd figured it all out. You know, he found the job that that was right for him. Um, I was old enough not to be super irritating all the time. Um it was it was things were and at that point Is this it? You know what else is there? There's a fast car. That's that'll that'll you know quiet these questions that are going on in the back of my mind. That if I if I can just accelerate really fast off the line and I can feel the wind going through my receding hair, (laughs) then surely if you're dad, if you're watching, I'm sorry. They're they're on vacation. They're in uh, Idaho. Why anyone would go there is beyond me. But a lot of people are moving there. So if you go, I get it. You don't want to have to have an electric car by twenty thirty five. You're like you're like I want I want a regular. You want to destroy the planet is what you want to do. You jerks. Um he yeah so they're so hey dad sorry. Um, what I think what was what. What that signifies to us, though, is it signifies to us that, that if we don't have you know the answers deeply embedded in our hearts, we we start questing out for other things, right? We start we start seeking out you know um, the the new wife or girlfriends We start seeking out the the stuff. We start thinking we start seeking out um, a brand new take on whatever. Um, because there's something unsettled, deeply unsettled. And that's kind of where Nicodemus is. He's, he's in this deeply unsettled identity crisis. Play. He, he's actually, he's, he's there, he's got it all, and he's wondering, is this it? And do I really know what I want? Am I really this person that I thought I was? Remember, he, he's asking a question that he should know the answer to. He's asking the question, how do I make sure I'm in the kingdom of God? How do I know that I've got, you know, eternal life, the life of the age to come? Can you, can you explain that to me, Jesus? How do I really know I'm one of the chosen people? Here he is. He spent his whole life being an expert in everything about God, and he wakes up one, one day and he, and he realizes he knows nothing at all. That's the first thing you're cheats. Um... Nicodemus is uh, identity crisis. He's worried that he might not really be a member of the chosen people. He might not really be. Sometimes you hear the word "saved." He might not really be um, one of God's, and that shakes him to the core. Let's look at the text again, and we'll uh, talk a little more about being born again. Um, Jesus says, "I assure you, unless someone is born again, it's not possible to see God's kingdom." Now notice Nicodemus misunderstands, again, I, I submit to you that really the best way to translate this would be born from above, and, and you'll see why in a second, but, but Nicodemus hears born again. Why? Because as much as being born a second time is odd, at least Nicodemus can, can wrap his mind around the mechanics. Right? He's like, okay, I know what birth is. It's an awful process that men are not allowed to witness, lest they faint, um, but, and it involves a great deal of pain and blood and water, um, and then, but at the end a little a baby comes out. I get that, and so he hears you know um, uh, born a he's like born again, well, I could imagine I guess some weird situation where, like uh, my mother gives me birth a second time that, that, I guess that makes sense what doesn 't pot- at all make sense to him is the idea of being born from above, being born from heaven, being born from God that it 's beyond his world of metaphors and yet and yet jesus is going to explain that that's exactly what he means going on in the text you see jesus says whatever is born of flesh is flesh whatever born is born of the spirit is spirit well nicodemus is a good guy he's a good jewish man he knows that the spirit of god proceeds from god in heaven and then comes down to the earth that's kind of how the spirit works right? And so when Jesus says, he says, don't be surprised that I said to you, and this is where we should translate differently, you must be born from above. You need to have a spiritual birth. You need to have uh, your DNA, your blood, your, um, your, your makeup, who you are come from heaven, from God, from the spirit, not from just your mom and your dad. For a long time in my life, um, my my dad's my best friend. I love him. He's awesome. But for a long time, probably a good decade, well, one day I woke up and I realized I was smarter than he was. (laughs) I did. And and I was like, you know what? I'm really brilliant. (laughs) And, And he's like, he's smart. You know, he's above average. He can hang. But he's not, like, a genius. And, and, and then I was, like, I was like, you know, he has a sort of way of going about life um, that it's, it's so boring. He, like, wakes up every day. He goes to work. He, like, he doesn't do anything cool or exciting. He's just, I mean, and the thing is, I know that I'm going to be 21 forever, and if he could just wrap his mind, and so and so, I, I, growing up, I idolized him. And then somewhere in my late teens and twenties, I was like, "Forget this guy. I've found some better heroes." And uh, I have a picture of two of my heroes um, for a long period of my life. Uh, on the left there is Kurt Cobain, he, <laughs> a real winner. <laughs> and on the right is Tyler Durden from Fight Club. Fight Club's uh, still my second favorite movie of all time. Uh, but when it came out, I, um, I idolized the message of this movie. Tyler Durden is a character who just, his superego, he doesn't care what anyone thinks, he does what he wants. He beats up who he wants, he dates who he wants, he, he has no job, he, well, actually, he has a lot of jobs, but he only does them for fun. He doesn't care about them. He, he, he lives a life that's totally free, totally fun, totally awesome. Kurt Cobain, artistic genius. I mean, the world was too much for him. He recognized how dumb and awful the man is. And he realized the only way to deal with the world was just to put a shotgun in his mouth and blow his head off. Which I love seeing the kids these days still wearing Kurt Cobain t-shirts. I'm like, I mean, I get it. I was young once, but man. So for a decade, these were my heroes. And then... Uh, one day, I remember I was maybe working on my dissertation, and Alice was a baby, and she was crying, and we had a mobile, um, and if you turned the mobile, it would last for like two to five minutes, and then that would quiet her down. And I was, So I would, I would turn the mobile, then run back and type, and then I would check on the, the, the laundry. And, and as, as miserable as I was, I, I, I had this moment where I was like, I was like this matters, what I'm doing now really, really matters. And then I've told you before, I had the second res- realization, the worst of my life, that my dad was right about everything. And, <laughs> and if there was anything, um, and, and more than that, I was looking at my life and realizing, okay, now I'm, I'm gaining weight. All right? I'm settling down. I'm raising kids. I'm working towards, like, you know, a career that hopefully has some meaning. I'm doing exactly what he did. And at that moment, there could be no doubt in my mind that I was my father's son. That, that whatever DNA he had, it, it passed down. And, and my priorities began to shift, and I began to see the world in an entirely different way, and I realized like, like the, I could not get away from my dad. In fact, if anything, I needed to just stop running and lean in, lean into who I really am. What Jesus is saying to, to Nicodemus, he's like, "You, you, you think that you've never thought about any, about your parents other than you know your mom and dad? You've never thought about God as your father. You've never considered that that you might." be there's a possibility that you that you, who you really are is God's son a child of God you've never considered that in fact it's so wild and so wacky for you that you when i say be born from above you hear go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time. It's so bizarre for you. And this is true. We know that one of the ways that Jesus was super radical was um, Jewish people in his day would never refer to God as father or daddy or anything like that. Jesus is very unique in this way. And his followers are unique in this way. It's, It's a very strange shift in language. And so it was outside of Nicodemus's thought patterns and possibilities that he could be born from spirit. And later in 1 John, born from God, a God born. Like, what, a, what a bizarre concept. And yet Jesus says the problem with you and the problem that your, identi- your whole identity crisis that's going on, it really is sourced. It's deeply sourced in one thing. And that's that you don't know or you can't conceive of who your dad is. You identify yourself as a Pharisee, you identify yourself as a ruler, you identify yourself as respected, as wealthy, as all of these things, that's who you think you are, but what you really are at core, what you should be, is spirit born, God born, you should be calling God Dad. And I think this, uh, for Nicodemus and for us, it's the same thing. Our identity crises, our, our failures of identity, our failures of, of the ability to know who we are and where we're headed and what this is all about, our purpose, um, our, our existence, all of it, all of it is drawn from this one failure that we constantly have. We look and we look and we look and we never stop and just, and just accept the fact or try to find out how to become or make God our dad. That's the next thing in your note sheet. All identity crises stem from a failure to call or know God as dad. And so one question that you might have, some of us might have is, well, is God my dad? Is he my true father? Do I know this? Is this true? Can I bank on it? If not, how can, I, how can I get in on that? That sounds good. Another question that we might have is we might wonder, well, how does knowing that God is dad or father, how does that help? How does, how does, that, how does that, what is that going to do? Is that really going to make Nicodemus like Simon? Like, oh, thank goodness, I feel so much better. Excellent. Now I know how to go live my life. Is that, I mean... Is that possible? Well, if we go back to the text, we can see how Jesus, um, using some metaphorical language, starts to answer this question. And the first thing is, notice that Jesus says, unless you've been born from above, unless you've got the Spirit, unless you're Spirit-born, you can't even recognize the kingdom of God. You can't see it. It's invisible to you. It just, you miss it. It's like it might be there, it might be around you, but you're, you're not going to know it. It, it. it would pass right by, and you'd never have a, never have a clue. And then he goes on, and, and he starts talking about the spirit. He says, God's spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it come from, comes from or where it's going. Again, you can't see it. You don't know the source. You don't know where it's going. Uh, you can't see it. And the, uh, the little issue here with translation, this is the second place in this text, where Jesus uses a word that has two meanings uh, that we don't have in English. And this is, again, it's pneuma, which is the, the word for wind. But it's also the word for spirit. So it can mean wind, or it can mean spirit. And so depending on what you think Jesus is talking about, you might hear, and probably Nicodemus hears, the wind blows wherever it wishes. Which is true, but... Jesus is probably talking about something more, and that's why I've elected to leave God's spirit here as the translation. God's spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear it sound, but you can't see it. And here's the thing, Nicodemus. Here's the bad news. It's the same with everyone who's born of the spirit. Anyone who's really born from above, who has God as father... If you 're not also born like that you 're going to miss them you 're not going to see it it 's going to go right by you you 're going to feel it you 're going to feel the result of these people you 're going to hear them, but you 're not going to recognize them. What does Jesus mean? Well he, he means that that being born from the spirit isn't it, 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 yeah God's your dad, but obviously you 're not going to look like God. You're, there's, there's no physical resemblance. And yet, we do actually resemble our parents in some very non-physical ways. And so you start to see, you can see the effects of being someone's child in the way that they grow up and they change and they... And so you, you you can't necessarily see the, the resemblance to God, but you can start to see uh, some some really clear connections. You feel it, um, and 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 you, and you hear it. One of the cool things about um, being in a church for a long time is that you get to see uh, kids grow up, um, and, and and you get to see. Th- the way that they change and morph and transform into their parents in, in, some, resp- in some cases it's very physical right like, so if you know the Grims you know Monica and Lloyd you, you, you don't have to you could, you could spot one of their kids a mile away there's no question I don't know what it is about your DNA but all your kids look the same in the best way and there's no question about a Grim being a Grim it's just it's right there in the face um, but it's not always physical. I mean, it can be, and a lot of times it is. But a lot of times, it's more than that. Like, I, you know, I, I get to hang out with, uh, with Levi Varela now. And I see so much of his mom and dad in him. His real clear sense of right and wrong. His, his, his desire to know the truth. Like, that's, he gets that from his parents. It's built into him. I see, you know, Christian Koblenz. I see uh, Lauren Ballinger. Two kids who, like, like Lauren is a servant, like her parents is, uh, parents are Christian's the same way. It's like if any, anything needs to get done, those two, they're like, "Let's go do it." And you, look, and where do they come from? They come from two people who are always doing stuff. Even if I couldn't tell just by looking at Lauren or Christian who their parents were, I would, I get, to, I see it, and it becomes so obvious over time because at a deep level they share the proclivities the desires the interests of their true parents Jesus tells Nicodemus you know God's spirit blows you you can't if you're not born again, if you're not born from above, if you don't have the spirit, if you don't have the divine life living in you, you're not going to recognize it. You're going to see the effects a little bit. You're going you're to feel it. You're going to hear it. And so when you see the, when the kingdom of God is there, it's going to impact you a little bit. But once, once, you, once you buy in, once you truly become God's child there is a possibility, there's an expectation, there's a hope that you start to resemble God. Obviously not physically, but in in the ways of God's nature and character, his moral actions and love. In fact, later on in 1 John, uh, John says, hey, the God-born love, those who love are born of God. Because God is a loving God. And so when you start to see love, you start to see people who are made out of the kingdom. They're kingdom people, they're born from the spirit. They've got God's DNA and God's blood coursing through their veins. They've got God's character and desires and proclivities and experiences and excitement. The things that charge God up charge them up because they're children, they're true children. They share in God's nature and character. And so Nicodemus, first, you need to know that you're a child of God. You need to know that God is your father. And that's how you need to identify yourself. That has to be the core of who you are as a person. But then once that happens, once once you've made that first step, the next step into truly moving through the identity crisis that that, that, that he's going through, that we go through, is to live into, to begin truly resembling your real dad. That's the next thing in your note sheets. Identity crises fade the more we resemble our true father. What we think naturally is going to provide meaning is, you know, uh, the next job, the next career, the the next relationship, the, the next 92 Mustang. That's what we, we, we run to that. We run to that. We, that, ooh, that's going to finally make it all make sense. But that's only true if you have not been designed to be God's child. If you have been designed to be God's child, if that's what's true about you and all humanity, then you will never really be yourself. You will never be comfortable in your own skin. You will never have an answer to the question of who am I and what am I doing until you lean into and you begin truly resembling your true father. And so I think there's probably two kinds of people here today. Uh, the, the, the first kind of person is the one who's like, like Nicodemus. like "I don't know if I'm really a part of this family or not. I don't know if God's my dad." I have no idea. I think he might be. I go to church. I'm a nice person. You're here. So presumably you're, you know, at least trying a little bit. Um, but if you're really honest, you're like, ah, bye. And you may be wondering, well, what, what does it take? What, what's, what's, the bad news is you're going to have to wait till next week to find out. Uh, because we're, 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 we're about to hit, we're, we're right there. So here's what, I can, what you can do. If you're not sure, then go ahead and maybe check out the rest of this chapter. Go, you, it's great. You don't even know how, need to know how to find places in the Bible anymore because you can Google it. You just Google John 3 and you will get this. In some translation, you can probably read. And you can like maybe, you know, but I promise you next week we are going to jump in deep and we're going we're gonna to answer this question once and for all. So that's the first question you might be asking if you're in an identity crisis. Marilyn, go ahead and put that one up. There it is. There's a second one, though. There, there are probably some of us here who are like, oh, yeah, 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 I got it. I know. Believe. Faith. I've heard this one before. Okay, okay you've been in church for a while. That's cool. Good. Um, but there's a, there's a question you might be asking, especially if you aren't comfortable in your own skin, especially if you aren't certain about the your meaning, your purpose, all of those things. Those questions are still coming up for you. Well, maybe the issue is that you're chasing after Kurt Cobain and Tyler Durden and you're not being your father's son or daughter. You're not living into being the kind of person who looks and acts and feels and thinks like dad. Now, maybe there's a lot of places in your life where you are, and I think it's good to go ahead and question that. Look at that. Think about that. What what attributes and what what proclivities, what desires, what what aspects of who you are really do look like your heavenly father, like your daddy, where you're like, you know what? Dad and I were simpatico on that, you know. He's a Democrat. I'm a Democrat. Whatever. That's a joke. Some of you are like, no, it's not. (laughs) Definitely not. He's loving and you're loving. He's generous and compassionate. You're generous and compassionate. He's loyally committed. You're loyally committed. Right? You look like your dad. But maybe there's some places in your life where you really don't. And you like to hold on to those. Maybe he's, you know, super passionate, super engaged, and you like to stay back and you're disinterested. Maybe he's all about going out and doing the work. He's, he's all about missions and saving people. And you're like, I'm comfy. I don't need to do that. This week, when you're thinking about these questions, you're wondering like, who am I? What's my purpose? Well, I suggest to you, your whole purpose is to be like him. Maybe the issue is you're like, you're like the person who never really knew their dad, right? You didn't know your dad growing up. And then your dad comes on the scene and you're like, ah, I'm not sure, you know, you, it, it would take a while to meet and to get to know your dad so that you'd start to realize what it's like to be like him, right? Well, similarly, maybe you've prayed the prayer and you're a child of God, but you've never really gotten to know him that well. And so you honestly have no idea whether or not you're like your dad. And maybe going out and seeking that, seeking that understanding, maybe that is the key, the path towards living into your new identity. The bottom line, my friends, is this. Like Augustine said, our uh, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. We will never stop wondering who am I, what's my point, what's my purpose until we define ourselves first and foremost by being God's kids and living into that life. So let's take a moment and reflect and reestablish God is dad and we're meant to be just like him. Gracious God and Father, Dad, I pray, Lord, for any person here who isn't sure if you're Dad or not. They wonder if they're really a part of your family and your team. God, may that question burn in their hearts this week. And may they seek you out in John 3 and may they come back and return and, and hear the good news of how we become born from above. God, for those uh, who are sure, yeah, we're in your family. You're my dad. I pray that you'll um, open our eyes to see the places where we just don't look like you. Where, where we've just, we've, we've run away and we've, we've rejected your nature, your character, and, and we've decided to go on our own and convict us and cause us to move to repentance. but also Lord in your spirit show us the places where you have changed us and you have made us like you and you have secured our identity as people who are the children of a loving, compassionate and loyal God a God of forgiveness and mercy who does not overlook justice and may we as a community look just like you And may all who come and see us be unable to deny the resemblance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.